Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Kilowatt. My name is Bodhi, and I am your host. And today we are going to talk about Rivian's Q2 2023 earnings call. It is our last earnings call of the quarter. So I hope you enjoy it. Should be a lot of fun. Now, with all, or not all, I should say, with recent earnings calls, it seems like these companies have a an area they want you to focus. They're, 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 you know, for GM, it was all about fixing their battery woes and their infrastructure and planning ahead and all that stuff. Well, today for Rivian, it's all about software and hardware integration and Rivian, you know, building as many of those components and developing as much as that software as they can to integrate into their trucks and, and SUVs. And that makes, you know, development easier for them, but it also makes it easier or cheaper for us and cheaper for them. They're going to make more money. Now, you're going to hear three voices from Rivian on this earnings call. RJ Scringe, their CFO, Claire, whose name is escaping me right at the moment, and Wysom Binsed. Hopefully I said the last name right. Uh, Wysom is the software development strategy person. Like he's in charge of that. He talked a little bit about the purchase of a better route planner, but not, not in a way that we really needed to feature it on the show. He talked about some basic software features for EVs that already exist in a lot of EVs that Rivian is currently developing. And then there were some vague promises about software development in Rivian's future. I cut all that out. Again, a lot of this is repeated throughout the earnings call. I didn't think you needed to hear it. But you'll hear RJ's voice. He's got a pretty uh, um, you know, deep signature voice. And you'll hear Claire, the CFO, you'll hear her voice, and then you'll hear Wysom's voice, and, and you'll know the difference when you, when you hear them, of course. And everybody else you hear on the earnings call will either be the operator or the analysts asking questions. So let's go ahead and jump into RJ's opening remarks, which have been edited to make them you know more appropriate for this show. So let's go ahead and listen in. 
Prior to getting into the quarter's details, I'd like to thank our employees, customers, partners, suppliers, communities, and shareholders for their continued support of our vision. Consistent with our last earnings call, Claire and I will be inviting different leaders to join us each quarter. For this call, I've asked Wasim Ben Sayed, our Senior Vice President of Software Development, to join given the critical role software plays in enabling our business and the ever-improving and expanding capabilities and features of our vehicles. During the second quarter, we produced 13,992 vehicles, which represents a 50% increase compared to the first quarter. Importantly, approximately 70% of the R1 units produced during the second quarter were R1S vehicles. This represents the first time R1S quarterly production was higher than R1T production. Our team in Normal has made strong progress through the first half of the year, maturing the manufacturing process of the R1S to the point where the build efficiency is essentially equal to the R1T. It's also important to note the R1S is more profitable than the R1T. The ramp of our in-house Enduro motor line remains a key enabler to near-term production performance. Due to our progress during the first half of the year, we are increasing our 2023 production guidance to 52,000 total units. Building on the successful launch of the in-house Enduro motors for our commercial vans last quarter, we successfully integrated this motor into the dual motor variant of the R1 platform during the second quarter. This is an important milestone from a cost perspective and will also be instrumental in expanding the consumer market opportunity for our R1 vehicles. We believe the majority of our long-term R1 demand will come from our dual motor variants. These variants have pricing that starts at just over $70,000, extend up to 400 miles of range, reach zero to 60 miles per hour in as quick as three and a half seconds, tow up to 11,000 pounds, and generate over 800 foot-pounds of torque and 650 horsepower. We believe the dual motor variants offer great value while providing high on- and off-road performance. The technology and clean sheet approach we've taken with the R1 product line has really enabled the, the uniquely differentiated product, the features, the attributes, the, the, the way the vehicle feels so, so special. And you know, this is the result of, of thousands and thousands of trade-offs we're making between different pieces of content, the way we think about design, the way we think about technology integrating with that design. And, and of course, the R1 product line was intended and is our handshake with the world. It's, uh, it's our flagship product. And so as we've now been thinking a lot about how does that brand position that we've created from a product point of view integrate across the mosaic of all the other touch points we have as a company, and then, of course, into R2, uh, those same, that same mindset and that same ethos is being applied, of course, in a smaller, price, a smaller form factor and a lower price point. And having spent a lot of time uh, with the teams and closely coordinating all these different trade-offs and, and um, sort of thinking about how does Rivian manifest at this lower price point with a smaller form factor, I can say we've, we, we couldn't possibly more, be more excited about what's to come with R2 and really looking forward to showing that product in the early part of, of 2024. Uh, it represents in much the same way that R1 rethought a segment, rethought a space, R2 takes that even further and stretches uh, our, our ideology and our brand ethos really into such a, such a great segment and, and such a large adjustable market. I also want to take this opportunity to highlight some of the progress we're making through our partnership with Amazon. When designing the electric delivery van, we set out to develop a delivery van which offers a step change in safety, innovation, technology, and of course, driver comfort. As of early July, there were EDVs in operation across over 800 cities in the United States. In addition, we recently initiated deliveries of EDVs to Amazon in Europe. 
It was a strong quarter, and we remain focused on ramping production, driving cost efficiencies, developing future technologies, and creating an amazing customer experience. One of the things that Rivian is doing that I like a lot is during these earnings calls, they're bringing in you know, leadership from different divisions. Wasim bin Sayed, of course, is the software person. Um, I'm looking forward to who they bring in next, but I think that's really good. It gives us, well, first of all, it tells us what they want to focus on. It's kind of telegraphing uh, the the main topic there. But I think it, it's also good to hear from experts in that industry because while RJ Scringe probably knows a lot about his product, these folks who are in charge of each of these departments knows quite a bit more about the products. So I, I'm happy that they're doing that. It seems that R1S is <laughs> totally rocking pro- production and product uh, profitability. I don't know why wanted to say productivity there, but I did. Uh, I've seen so many R1Ts around that while I still get excited when I see them, it's not as as uh, as novel as it was a year ago. I'm seeing a lot of R1Ss around where I live and and on the freeways. Like it's it's a it's a noticeable amount for sure. Um, I'm about eighty five percent sure that it's not the same one. Maybe seventy eight percent sure that it's not the same one. Let's see. RJ mentioned that they were going to show off the R two in or the R2 platform in early 2024. I'm really excited to see what they've got planned. And then they gave a little Amazon update. So let's go ahead and move on to, let's go ahead and listen to Claire McDonough. That's her last name. Let's go ahead and listen to her opening remarks. Turning to our second quarter results, we produced 13,992 vehicles and delivered 12,640 vehicles, which was the primary driver of the $1.1 billion of revenue we generated. Total revenue for the quarter included $34 million of proceeds from the sale of regulatory credits. We expect the sale of regulatory credits to increase over time, but to vary quarter to quarter. During the second quarter, we improved our gross profit per vehicle by approximately $35,000 as compared to the first quarter of 2023, representing a gross margin improvement of over 4,400 basis points. The primary drivers include fixed cost leverage, the change in LCNRV inventory write-downs and losses on firm purchase commitments, material cost reduction, and increased revenue per vehicle delivered. Now going deeper into the material cost reduction drivers, after a full quarter of EDV production, With the introduction of the LFP battery pack and our in-house Enduro drive unit, we are now seeing a 35% reduction in material costs for our vans as compared to Q4 2022. Concurrently, we've seen and, and continue to see strong progress on our R1 material cost reduction through commercial cost down efforts and a reduction in short term premiums. Total gross profit for the quarter was negative $412 million as compared to negative $704 million in the same period last year. Total operating expenses in the second quarter of 2023 fell to $873 million as compared to $1 billion in the same period last year. The primary driver of the reduction in operating expenses was related to lower levels of stock-based compensation expense. 
we continued to rationalize our operating expenses despite significant investments in core in-vehicle technologies and the customer experience. Over the past year, we have expanded our physical and mobile service offerings, increased our demo drive capacity, developed and launched a new motor platform, expanded our Rivian Adventure Network, built a parts distribution center and remanufacturing center, and so much more. All of this was done while lowering our quarterly operating expenses by $131 million, of which $89 million consisted of cash expenses. These are all forward investments that position us to capitalize on our direct-to-customer relationship and enable us to scale efficiently as our car park grows. Our gross profit improvements, coupled with our operating expense rationalization, resulted in $424 million of improvement in adjusted EBITDA as compared to the prior year. We ended the second quarter of 2023 with $10.2 billion in cash, cash equivalents and short-term investments. We continue to believe that our cash can fund operations through 2025, and with the addition of our $1.5 billion green convertible notes and the amendment and extension of our $1.5 billion asset-based lending agreement earlier this year, we have strengthened our balance sheet as we approach the launch of R2 in 2026. Turning to our business outlook for 2023, we remain focused on ramping production and driving greater cost efficiency across the company. Based on the progress of our production ramp, including the ramp of our in-house motor, along with the latest understanding of the supply chain, we are increasing our production guidance to 52,000 total units. We have also seen strong progress in our cost-down efforts and are improving our adjusted EBITDA guidance to negative $4.2 billion. Finally, we are reducing our capital expenditure guidance for 2023 to $1.7 billion due to a shift in capital expenditure timing. We continue to believe the average capital expenditures per year between this year and next year will be in the low $2 billion area. In closing, we have seen progress in all three aspects of our path to generate positive gross margin, ramping production, driving material costs down, and increasing average selling price. The substantial reductions in EDV material costs driven by the introduction of the LFP pack and Enduro drive unit is reflective of the material cost improvements we expect to experience with our R1 platform following the 2024 shutdown to rewrite the R1 line to 85,000 units per year and introduce new technologies. This reinforces our confidence in our long-term financial targets. We see a clear path to our approximately 25% gross margin target, high teens adjusted EBITDA margin target, and approximately 10% free cash flow margin target. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I don't have a lot to add to Claire's opening remarks. This is largely financial stuff. I leave the CFO's update. I leave that in mostly if it's worth listening to, and I think Claire's was. But I leave it in mostly for the investors. It, it doesn't have much to do with what I talk about on this podcast. I do think it was interesting that they produced 13,992 vehicles. They delivered 12,640 of them. That's fantastic. The LFP battery pack and enduro drive unit seems to have some cost savings for them. So that's, that's good. They lost less. They actually lost less money this quarter. Can you imagine losing billions of dollars a year and still having 10 billion plus dollars in the bank? That That's just amazing to me. That's just, that's money. Those are numbers on, on a galactic scale as far as I'm concerned. Let's go ahead and move into our analyst questions. And our first question is about advanced driver assist assistance systems, advanced driver assistance systems. It's, it's basically autonomous driving. Okay. Thanks for confirming that. And just to follow up on your ADAS strategy, you have Mobileye today, but we understand You'll be adding your own camera-based ADAS system side-by-side with Mobileye on the same windshield. I'm just wondering how long you plan on having these two redundant systems together before you substitute out Mobileye and rely on your own in-house system. Thanks. Yeah, as we think about some of the key differentiating um, elements of what we're building, of course, you know, Masim spoke about our, our electronic stack and, and building our own network architecture and and designing and developing all the core ECUs in the vehicle, uh, which is what facilitates and enables this, this significant reduction in number of ECUs in the vehicle that will be coming into play next year. Uh, in much the same way, we also deeply believe that controlling the sensor set, the perception stack across the vehicle, uh, and allowing that to feed into our, uh, you know, our autonomy compute module, what that gives us is the ability to have really early fusion of information, meaning we can uh, cross-leverage information across multiple cameras, our radar set, um, and, and in the future, additional sensors as well, uh, to put us in the best per- position to have high-quality uh, perception information that then feeds into our control algorithms. So with that as a, as a I guess, a bit of a technical uh, background on it, that's the reason we've taken the, the view of owning the hardware stack and the software stack around our self-driving platform is going to put us in a position to create long-term, the lowest cost system with early sensor fusion 
and therefore uh, the highest level of confidence from the perception stack feeding into the um, feeding into the control into the control system. First, I did not realize that Rivian was using Mobileye. I always assumed that they were using their own system. I had no idea they were they were using Mobileye for their ADAS or ADAS. Um, and, and I'll get to the Rivian thing here in a moment, but don't you think that Mobileye is just kind of destined to be a Band-Aid for automakers until they can, they can actually, you know, deploy their own ADAS system? <laughs> like, I'm sure plenty of automakers have either talked to Mobileye or are currently using Mobileye, but as soon as they develop their own system, they're kicking Mobileye to the curb. Like, it doesn't seem from my perspective, from all the information that I get from these automakers doing these earnings calls and reading through all the news and all that stuff, I don't get the impression that anybody's looking to use a system like Mobileye, and I just won't pick on Mobileye, but a system like Mobileye long-term. It seems like that's a Band-Aid until they can make something else happen. In terms of Rivian using you know, Mobileye and their own in-house ADAS system, I would imagine that's purely for, you know, uh, uh, testing purposes and it's relying on the mobilized system and not on the uh, Rivian system, at least initially. It's not like there's any sort of redundancy purpose for doing this because using your own system and then mobilize in a redundancy system, that seems kludgy and problematic. Next up, we're going to get some further color on Rivian's ADAS and software system and a little bit on their hardware. Our next question comes from the line of John Murphy with Bank of America. Your line is now open. Uh, good evening, guys. I, I just, uh, RJ, I just wanted to follow up, and particularly because we have Wasim on, on, the, on the line as well, on, on that comment you just made. I mean, when we think about that next-gen architecture, um, you know, I can understand kind of what, you're, what you just, just talked about. But is there anything else from the, the software side? Um, or the functionality of the vehicle uh, from, you know, the powertrain side or the HMI side that this next-gen architecture allows you to do that you might not be able to do right now and, and might put you, you know, out in front in the lead versus other vehicles. Sure, sure. Well, thanks, John. This is something we're, we're super excited about. It's, it's, um, it's, it's actually the reason we had Wasim join the call today so he could uh, provide some initial color and commentary on, on the importance of software and, and how this is such a core aspect of our of our organization and, and been built into every aspect of how we think about our vehicle platforms and architectures. Just to comment on, and I'll pass it to Wasim for some additional, um, additional uh, comments. Probably, if we wind the clock back many years, we took the decision uh, to develop all the ECUs across the vehicle. And so that's, you know, typically these are ECUs that would be coming from tier one suppliers, and those, those ECUs typically, when they come from tier one suppliers, they're, they're sort of embodied in that ECU as a set of functions and, and therefore, of course, uh, you know, a, a set of software applications. And that mosaic tr in a traditional world, that mosaic of third party tier one source ECUs has to work together. And it's, it's a very cumbersome uh, network architecture to work with and makes things like over the air updates very, very difficult because coordinate, you have to coordinate across multiple different companies on a, you know, on a software platform and soft, you know, software stack that, that you as the manufacturer would own. 
And so we we felt very, very strongly that this is something that had to be core to us as a business. We built deep domain expertise in terms of our electronics development capability, um, of course, our, our software development capability. And that, of course, launched into the R1 product where we, we own the software stack, we own uh, essentially all the ECUs in the vehicle. What that also does, in addition to allowing us to do lots of uh, over-the-air updates, and as you heard Wasim mentioned earlier, since the launch, we've, we've had 22 major over-the-air updates Beyond that, it allows us to look at cost optimization in a really unique way because a specific controller is not tied to a specific sourcing relationship or to a specific set of functions, but rather um, we control the controller and we control what's on it. So over time, we're consolidating the number of computers we have in the car to, to be significant, significantly reduced. And um, you know, next year, that, that first step of that is a 60% reduction in the number of computers in the car relative to today. Now, that, this is, that doesn't necessarily uh, directly create customer features. Of course, it takes cost out of the vehicle, allows us to operate with, we think, a significant multi-thousand dollar structural cost advantage relative to the tr- traditional approach. But importantly, it also opens up opportunities to do some really amazing features where you can cross-leverage compute, you can cross-leverage perception, as I referred to in the autonomous, you know, in the, with Adam's question. But Wasim, maybe if you can talk just a little bit about this. Uh, I know you said in your, your comments, uh, we don't want to give away too much, but you know, we, we until late last night, Wasim and I were reviewing some of our software roadmap, and I am so excited uh, for the world to see the things that, we're, uh, that we have coming. So Wasim, maybe talk a bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think really the, the core strength that we have is we, we own every single computer on the vehicle. So uh, we're able to not only update the infotainment or the connectivity, but we can update the vehicle controls, we can update the vehicle dynamics, the energy management, um, ADAS, the way the vehicle drives, the way the vehicle navigates, communicates with the entire world. We're able to create end-to-end uh, unique uh, experiences that really redefine the, the ownership with, with, with our customers and really create that uh, regular connection with with our community of of customers. So um, we have those capabilities to continue enhancing the feature set. Uh, Through that complex integration, we're also uh, able to leverage on those skills so that we can virtually distribute all these different software features into more constrained hardware platforms in the future, which will bring significant uh, cost down and significant bill of material savings uh, for us for the next generation. I think the, the last item that I'd really want to highlight, um, and, and this is uh, usually uh, not very obvious, I think it's really the role of software uh, behind the scenes. It's uh, the entire connected data infrastructure that we have created where we not only collect data to help with product improvements, reliability improvements, safety improvements, but we're also able to help with reducing the service costs for the company. We're also helping with the acceleration of the overall manufacturing ramp. We're also able to help with the improvements from a quality standpoint for, for our manufacturing. I think that kind of goes to my point earlier is that using companies like Mobileye, as a band-aid until you can get your own things up and running. Just for reference, ECU is electronic control unit, just in case you're curious about that. As far as you know, controlling the hardware and software stack, Elon's been talking about this 
nearly the entire time I've been doing this podcast, if not the entire time I've been doing this podcast, and a lot of um, industry experts, whether they really are or aren't, they call themselves industry experts, has said taking a more like first party approach and not getting a lot of not using suppliers was a mistake because the you know it will increase prices and there was a variety of reasons why it was doomed to fail at that time though you could throw a rock and hint a pundit that said Tesla was going to go bankrupt any time and they weren't 100% wrong <laughs> they could have gone bankrupt any time but or or how uh, you know how they were never going to get the Model 3 to work the Model 3 at one point in time, I think was called vaporware. The Model Y wasn't called vaporware quite as much, or if at all. But the Cybertruck, I've heard people call vaporware. Even as they're building the lines, people are calling this truck vaporware, which makes me think that people don't know what vaporware means, because <laughs> there is a difference between it announcing a product and then actually producing the product versus announcing the product and not. That's vaporware. Uh, Tesla has continued to make strides in developing the Cybertruck. They just haven't given us much information since 2019. Anyway, I feel like I'm devolving here. So I'm going to move on to our next question, which is about the Amazon partnership. We're going to get an update on that. I was hoping you can just separately talk about uh, any progress that you've made in your discussions with Amazon regarding the exclusivity deal and just thoughts on on the outlook for demand for the uh, EDV and whether whether some resolution of that is required um, in order to achieve the uh, the target of positive gross profit next year. Sure. Um, so we've you know we continue to have a, a a great relationship with Amazon. It's a great partnership. I think one of the things I'd, I'd want to call out is just the the complexities of scaling a logistics network, or, or I should say, taking a scaled logistics network and converting it to electric. As I, as I said in my opening comments, uh, we're now, we now have EDVs operating in over 800 cities across the United States. Uh, we've recently entered Europe with, with the product, and the feedback we're getting from drivers has been incredible. Um, you, know, you can find this uh, sort of all over the web, and um, certainly no shortage of YouTube clips around just, the, I'd say, the level of excitement and, and how you know, the drivers recognizing the amount of um, driver focus that went into the design of all the, the touch points, the ingress, egress, the UI. Uh, so we're really pleased with that. Uh, now, with that said, uh, as, as we work closely with Amazon to expand uh, how many of those vehicles are getting out, and of course, that ties to how rapidly we ramp the production of, of the EDD product. We're also, in, and I've talked about this before, actively working with Amazon to allow us uh, to, to sell vehicles outside of Amazon sooner than what was originally contemplated in our contract. And so that work remains ongoing. Uh, we're very op optimistic on that work. Uh, again, the, the close partnership and, of course, Amazon's uh, large position in Rivian helps align incentives uh, to, to have us solve this here uh, very shortly. I only have two things to say about this. First, It'd be really foolish of Amazon to say, nope, all of these vans belong to us, even though we're cutting our order, because they do have a financial stake, as RJ said, in Rivian. The second thing is my cool, my, my favorite feature about the Rivian delivery vans are the cooled seats for the driver. Like from what I understand, it's, it's like sitting on a, you know, a comfortable block of ice uh, in Arizona. It is, uh, it's uncomfortable 
especially this year. I'm going to tell you, we are at, let's see here. This is bad podcasting on my part. It is August 20, uh, August 30th as I record this, and the temperature is currently 110 degrees. Like while I was recording this podcast, I got a furniture delivery that I had to go and take care of. And we put the, the it was in a box, you know, the furniture delivery, we put it in the garage and I was talking to the gentleman and we were making sure that the, the piece of furniture was okay. And I was cutting open the box and then I got rid of the box. I was outside for about 10 minutes. I'm still sweating and I've been inside for about 20 minutes. Like it, it's, it's really hot and humid in Arizona right now. That cooled seat, uh, would be a dream for me. Now, it feels like I used that cool seat as a way to just complain about how hot and miserable it is in Arizona. And if it feels that way to you, because it does to me, that's because it's true. That's that's what I that's why I did it. All right, everybody, that is it for this episode. Earnings call in around 30 minutes, not too shabby. If you want to email me, you can. It's Bodie, B-O-D-I-E, at 918digital.com. You can find me on Twitter or X at 918digital. I am also on (laughs) threads, but I don't know what it is. I'm on Facebook, but I don't really log into Facebook very much. I'm not a good social media person. I need to get better. But if you find me there, say hello, and I'll say hello back. All right, everybody, I hope you all enjoyed this episode, and I will talk to you on Friday. Well, I wanted to thank everybody for joining today. We're, we're really excited about the progress we're making, and and hopefully reflected in collectively in our comments and, and discussions today, it's clear that our, our focus it very much remains on not only ramp, continuing to ramp production in our normal production facility, but importantly, driving costs down across the business on our path to profitability. And we see that manifesting in, in significant progress uh, between Q1 and Q2 in, in our overall gross margin structure. And we intend to continue to make that type of progress as we approach the, the long-term target for the normal facility of 25% gross margins. I'd say the other point I'd, I'd wanna call out, and, and this again evidenced uh, uh, by, by Wasim joining us here on the call is, is just the importance that we place on the tactical differentiation of, of our products and our platform in uh, not only enabling us to run and manage our operations more effectively in terms of over-the-air updates, continued progress, uh, or continued features that, that make their way into vehicles, but importantly, uh, actually simplifying the vehicle architecture because of the control of, of these core technology stacks around electronics, software, and, and associated network architecture. And that really forms the, the basis or the foundation, if you will, for what's to come with our R2 platform. Uh, and this is this is so foundational to to what we're building, and obviously it takes a lot of work on the front end to build all this capability, uh, and you know both on the hardware side and the software side. Uh, but but we're going to start to see the benefits of that uh, being realized uh, in the immediate term through the cost savings and the significant improvements we'll see quarter over quarter. But importantly, we'll see it 
uh, when we reveal and show the products for R2 and, and the level of uh, content and, and what will be available at the price points we'll be talking about for R2 uh, when we show that product early next year. So with that, uh, thank you everyone for joining uh, and uh, look forward to our next call. Thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.